We're going to be in Judges 16 tonight. We saw the last time the third chapter, which was Judges 15, devoted to Samson's life ending with the slaughter of the Philistines at Ramath-Lehi. And tonight we're going to see the last chapter, chapter 16, devoted to his life with the well-known addition of Delilah. <laughs> Anyone who's ever heard the story of Samson, Samson and Delilah. Well, she doesn't come into play until the fourth chapter dedicated to his life. And we'll see his tragic end in the Philistine temple. I got to tell you, I, um, I read this before. I probably have seen the movies made about it. Uh, but when I studied it again for this time, and I really put some time to study it, I just, there was a lot of emotions that went back and forth inside of me. You know, I really got into the story, and uh, it's really a sad story. And we're going to try to hit it from as many angles as we can hit it from. So, Judges 16, starting with verse 1. Then Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went into her. When the Gazites were told, Samson has come here, they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. They were quiet all night, saying, In the morning, when it is daylight, we will kill him. And Samson lay low until midnight. Then he arose at midnight, took hold of the doors of the gate of the city, and two gateposts, pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders, and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. So the chapter opens, uh, you know, not gloriously, again, for Samson. He's sleeping with a prostitute. This isn't Delilah yet, okay? Um, it's just amazing how Samson was able to conquer the world. Samson could conquer the physical world, but he couldn't conquer his own lusts. He actually was a slave to his own lusts. So the Philistines find out where he is, and they plan to kill him by morning. Samson finds out, sneaks out at midnight. Now, the city gates were interesting because they were, the city gates were like the municipal building, right? You come into a town, and if you need information or whatever it is, you go to the municipal building, right? South Brunswick is right there around the corner. But the city gates were these huge gates. They were dug deep into the ground. They were massive structures. Uh, it wasn't just like he pulled a fence out of the ground, okay? You have to understand this. They were probably several tons. They kept the enemy from, from coming in and attacking the city, and they would keep, they'd close them at night and keep the people safe. Well, here, the uh, gates were designed to keep Samson in, so by morning, the Philistines could surround them and kill him. So you've got to picture Samson. <laughs> they think they're going to keep me in. He probably put a little rosin on his hands, got down for a power squat, lifted the bars, and pulled them right out of the ground, right? And, you know, several thousand pounds or more, he puts them up on his shoulders, and he just walks up to Hebron like, okay, I'll show them. Probably woke up in the morning, says, no Samson, and there's no gates, you know what I'm saying? Unbelievable strength that this guy had. But as usual, the world is Samson's. He could do whatever he wanted because of the power he possessed. And, you know, I've noticed that let's, let's leave physical power aside, any type of power. If you have absolute power, how does it go? Absolute power corrupts absolutely. And you see that even with our politicians. You know, they become so arrogant. And I watch them on TV, and they don't care what we think. You know what I'm saying? They'll switch parties. They'll do whatever they have to do to stay in power. They've got the best health care. If there was a, a, a nuclear strike, they have, they have I'm telling you, they've got uh, bunkers. They've got water. They've got everything they need. While us common folk, you know, whatever happens, happens. And they don't care. As long as they have the power, you see politicians, the longer they stay in, as senators or congressmen, 
They just gain more power. If they ever retire, they're set up with all these companies. They do things for them while they're in office, and when they get out of office, they're well taken care of. So it's just the thing with men and women. You just get so drunk and maddened with power and authority that you just don't care. And Jesus was right. And you talk about, I mean, you can go from physical strength to political power to even riches. Jesus said it's harder. You know, it's easier for a camel to get through an eye of the needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. Why? Because they have so much, they don't need God. I could go on for so many examples, but we actually were at the DuPont house on Tuesday in Pennsylvania. And we kept saying, for one family, I mean, you've got to see the lavishness of this palace. They just have everything they need. They don't need God. And this is one of God's men here, by the way. He didn't seem to need God too much either, as long as he was getting um, what he needed. Verse 4. Now, afterward it happened that he loved the woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistine came up to her and said to her, Entice him and find out where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to afflict him. And every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. I found it striking that it says that um, it happened that Samson loved the woman in the valley of Sorek. I think Samson kind of loved himself, uh, but the Bible says that he loved her. And we could go into the Hebrew and look at all the different meanings. But honestly, I think, and this is, I'm going to tell you where Joe's speculation, you know, where God's word ends and Joe's speculation begins. My personal opinion is that he, like all the other women, he started out, it was a, a sexual infatuation, and I think he fell for this woman. And you can see by his actions, you know, this is like a, um, kind of like a dysfunctional love story, but, you know, we'll go more into it and we'll talk about it. So he finds Delilah. Delilah could come from the Hebrew dalal, which means to weaken or impoverish. That tells you a little something about her character. And I'm also going to show you a lot of parallels if you were here through the James study uh, a lot of parallels to what James tells us on Sunday service and as I was studying Samson I kept thinking of the James study but James was telling the people not to dabble not to toy with sin and get entangled and here Samson falls into that trap he walks the line and he eventually crosses the line so the Philistines get Delilah they offer her money to tell them the secret of Samson's strength and each of the lords offers her 1,100 pieces of silver, which was worth about $8,000 a piece. So do the math. Depending on how many lords there were, right, uh, she certainly had a good 401k plan going instantly, didn't she? But Delilah is a picture of the world, and the world is always at enmity with God's world. They're always in conflict because we know who runs this world, and we know who runs God's world and God's kingdom. And the world will sell you out in a heartbeat for some fast cash. And that's what happens here. Be careful of your alliances with the worldly because they'll eventually burn you. Okay, we'll see that. Verse 6. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies and with what you may be bound to afflict you. I should be telling right off the bat. I mean, out of all, out of all the things you, you could talk about, you know, and it doesn't stop there. And Samson said to her, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, and she bound him with them. Now there were men lying in wait, staying with her in the room, 
And she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he broke the bowstrings as a strand of yarn breaks when it touches fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. So we see this series of Delilah questioning Samson and him not revealing the truth. Now, you know, I have to, I have to get into a little bit of granularity here, and I'll try to be general because there's little ears in the room. But verse 9 says they were in the room. So Samson and Delilah doing their thing, and the Philistines are somewhere in the room, probably hiding, and probably, and if I could speculate, uh, he, you know, whatever they were doing, eventually he probably fell asleep, and she would say, bind them and say, the Philistines are upon you, and he would wake up out of his sleep and think that that was the case, and he would do this, break them off, and if the Philistines who were hiding didn't see that he, that he was not able to break them, they saw that he was still bound, they would probably come out and attack him. So as long as they saw that he was not telling the truth, they stayed in their little hidden compartment, wherever it was. We see that Samson's a fool, okay, we know that, but enter Delilah. Delilah's a twisted woman, all right? She's twisted. There's, there's something wrong with this lady. All she can see is a paycheck, and Samson's just a meal ticket. She has relations with him, but she has no feelings for him, you know, so... Verse 10, then Delilah said to Samson, look, you have mocked me and told me lies. Now please tell me with what you may be bound with. So he, had, he said to her, if they bind me securely with new ropes that have never been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Therefore Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And there were men lying in wait, staying in the room, but he broke them off his arms like a thread. Second round of deception. We go from the bowstrings to the new ropes. And uh, Samson may have some gifts, but I would say that the gift of discernment is certainly not one of them. <laughs> he doesn't realize, or maybe he doesn't care, that she's the enemy. And you know, again, going back to the James study, when somebody is in sin, they're blinded. You know, they're blinded. They don't see things for what they are. Um, even like James says, you look into the mirror and you walk away and you forget what kind of person you are. Even the word's not doing anything for you. And some of us have been in those type of relationships and some of, those, some of us have seen others in those type of relationships. And somebody from the outside may be loving you and telling you the truth of what you're going through and you don't want to hear it. All right? And again, we've all either been on one side or both sides of that equation. Verse 13. Then Delilah said to Samson, until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me what you may be bound with. And he said to her, if you weave the seven locks of my head into the web of the loom. So she wove it tightly with the batten of the loom and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled out the batten and the web from the loom. I'm just getting a picture of this. He probably woke up and had this contraption on his head, and he just went, and he pulled it off his head. So it's just weird to me. I don't know what it looked like. I don't, I don't remember how they did it in the movie, but he, of course he broke out of it again. But you know what's frightening? He's getting closer to the fire. The first two times he told her a fairy tale. The third time he told her something about his hair. So he's getting closer to the fire. This is a picture of the often slow descent into full-blown deception and self-deception. And the gap is now widening between God and the sinner, right? 
until one day, if we're that much in sin, we wake up and say, you know, God is so far from me. But he didn't move. We moved. Pretty amazing stuff here. Verse 15. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times and have not told me where your great strength lies. And it came to pass pass when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death. I love the translation. She pestered him. (laughs) And you could just imagine. He's like, you know, it's a casual relationship in his mind and he's having fun and Man, now it's a drag. Now she's just really on him. She's pestering him. Okay, so, you know, he's, he's definitely starting to, to lose it here. That he told her all his heart and said to her, quote, No razor has ever come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. This is the part of the movie where your heart sinks, you know, and you're like, oh, man, if you never saw or you never read the Bible and this was made into a movie, and I'm sure it was several times, you just were like, oh, why'd you do that? And if nothing else, you're like, man, don't go to sleep. She's lulling him and he's, no, don't go to sleep. It's like a horror movie. Don't go to sleep. But the sad thing is, he's giving an account of his life from his birth of, and in the womb to this woman. And maybe even proudly boasting of being a Nazarite. And at every turn in his life, with the, the carcasses and the, the jawbone of the donkey and putting his hand in the rotting lion and, and being in the vineyard with the grapes and, and being with all these prostitutes... He's like, hey, you know, I've been a Nazarite from from my mother's womb, but man, even his walk was just so pathetic. You know, the world will look at us Christians, and and I've said this from the pulpit too, when I'm just not in the spirit, I don't talk to people about the Lord, and I don't say, and I don't go trying to witness to them, because my heart isn't right. The worst thing we can do as believers is show, and and, you know, the world is filled with Christians who want to tell the world that you got to follow Jesus, but man, they're the biggest hypocrites going. And the world looks at that, and Delilah, she wasn't moved. She didn't change her mind, because this guy that she was with, supposed to be God's man, was one of the worst sinners going, probably worse than a lot of the Philistines. You see what I'm saying here? And I just really got into this, man. I really, I like to get into the Bible. I like to just meditate on it and just see what I can find in here. His own words as he was saying them didn't even convict him. He still kept doing what he was doing. Sadly and possibly, I'm going to speculate, maybe at this point he was trying to build a deeper relationship with her, maybe a deeper trust, and if he started revealing his secrets that there would be a closer bond. Maybe it was like missionary dating, you know, that he figured, uh, you know, if he, if he talks about God enough and where he came from that she would become you know, to his faith. You know, I don't know what the deal is, but we do that as Christians. Sometimes we, Christ, we try to Christianize something that shouldn't be Christianized. God says, don't do it. It's forbidden fruit. And what we try to do is we justify it and we talk around it and we, we package it and we make it to a point where, look, you know, we're going to sell it to them and we're going to sell it to God. It's going to be okay. And God says, no, man, no. You're throwing pearls before swine, and that's what Samson did here. i got to tell you, out of you know, my long tenure as a pastor, and I say that facetiously. This was one of the most interesting uh, chapters I've ever studied. 
you know, it really got into this. There's just so much power in this, and there's so much passion, and there's so much should-have-beens, and so much could-have-beens, and so much... Could you imagine if the book was, if he did it differently, how, how the book would have ended? He could have wiped out all the Philistines with the power he had. He could have amassed an army and said, look, follow me. Look what I can do. Guys, you know, come along with me. And they would have said, yeah, we're going to redeem Israel. He didn't do it. He didn't do it. Verse 18. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, very perceptive woman, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, they probably at this point were, maybe gave up. Maybe they weren't going to hang out in the room anymore. And she called for them. She discerned that now he was telling her the truth, and she used it against them. A lot of betrayal here. Come up once more, for he has told me all his heart. So the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hand. Then she lulled him to sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of, of his head. Look at the preparation that went into this evil. Then she began to torment him and his strength left him. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at the other times and shake myself free. But he did not know the Lord had departed from him. The most chilling words in this chapter. This woman is cold-hearted, and she knows what they're going to do to him. She lulls him to sleep on her knees, and I bet for him that was one of the most comfortable places in the world. That was the best place that he ever wanted to be. When he was on her knees and laying in her lap and she was stroking his hair, he just went to sleep. He felt totally relaxed with her. Samson sought the love of the world instead of the love of God. And that's common in Christianity. Sometimes Christians find comfort in the world instead of God. She began to torment him. Alternate translation, okay, if you take the Hebrew apart, she began to hit him and subdue him. She took part in his humiliation. She wanted to be a part of it. It wasn't enough to just give him to the Philistines, smacked him around or, or hit him or did whatever, maybe felt his biceps and, you know, hey, there's nothing there. She hit him, she subdued him, and um, she took part in his humiliation. Whatever sin you're into, it will seduce you, it will lull you to sleep, it will sleep with you, it'll have no feelings for you, it'll take part in your torment, and it will have no mercy. And those of us who have backslidden, and those of us who have sinned, little sin, big sin, I can tell you, that's exactly what it does. Satan will make sin look so good, so comfortable, so enticing, and lull us to sleep on its knees, all the while he's seeking an opportunity to torment us and to ultimately destroy us. It says he did not know the Lord departed. It also said that about King Saul. My prayer is that's a, a place that we never have to experience. That's, that's a place that's never said about us. I, God, I hope that never happens to me. Meditate on that. He's jumping, he jumps up, and um, maybe he doesn't feel the stubble on his head. <laughs> and he's, he's going to mix it up with the Philistines, as he's did many times before. And again, I, I got into this. He's, you know, he's scrapping with them, and all of a sudden, he's taking some shots, and he's feeling them. And he's starting to lose it, and they're starting to get the better of him. Imagine how he felt at that moment when he realized the Lord left him. That had to be the coldest place on earth. Verse 21. Then the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters, and he became a grinder in the prison. 
However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. This is the obvious. A result of sin is blindness and slavery. Samson first lost his spiritual eyes, and then he lost his physical eyes. We can all choose to walk away from God and think we're having fun, but eventually sin will eventually catch up to us and poke our eyes out. Jesus even said, take your eyes out before you're caused to sin if they offend you. Take your hand off before it causes you to, to fall into that sin. You know, it's, just, it's sad. I've seen people walk away from the Lord, and it's painful because they don't listen. It's like there's a film. It's like cataracts. They just don't, they don't get it. All of a sudden, God's word was great to study and talk about, but then when you're in sin and you're that drawn away, it doesn't mean anything to you anymore because your eyes are taken out, your spiritual eyes. Let me read verse 22 again. However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. Now, this is a picture of hope. There's always a picture of hope. Isaiah 6. How long, Lord, shall I do this? Isaiah asks him. Oh, until they don't listen to you anymore, until they mock you, until everything's laid waste. Hey, that's a great ministry. Sign me up. I can't wait to do that. I mean, talk about a depressing ministry. You know, th these guys really did ministry back in the Old Testament because there was no pay. <laughs> it was abuse. Nobody, a lot of times nobody would listen to you. And you, you wonder, why am I doing this? But the Lord said to do it, so they did it. And we know that his hair wasn't the source of his strength. We know God was the source of his strength. But he did use Samson's hair as a vehicle to his strength. Okay, we can figure that out. The Bible is full of man's poor choices, but it's also God's avenues to come back to him. There's always a message of hope. There's always a message of the remnant, right? There's always the 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Verse 23. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to rejoice. And they said, our god has delivered into our hands Samson, our enemy. When the people saw him, they praised their god. For they said, our god has delivered into our hands our enemy, the destroyer of our land, and the one who multiplied our dead. So it happened when their hearts were merry that they said, call for Samson, that he may perform for us. So they called for Samson from the prison. And he performed for them, and they stationed him between the pillars. Then Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand, he needed, he needed a little kid to, to, to feel him around. The most mighty man on the planet at the time now needed a little kid to help him to get around. Let me feel the pillars which support the temple so that I can learn, lean on them. Now the temple was full of men and women, and all the lords of the Philistines were there. In fact... There were about 3,000 men and women on the roof who watched while Samson performed. Remember what a mockery you make of God when you represent him and then hurt his reputation. They mocked Samson, and to make matters worse, they attributed their, their defeat of Samson to their stupid fish god. You know, the stupid fish god was like half man and, and half fish, and, uh, you know, they thought that that was God. Uh, later on, Call it out because I'm drawing a blank. Oh, it was, I believe, with the, uh, the Ark of the, of the Covenant when it was brought before the Philistines in their temple and they had the statue of the fish god and he fell down, right? Am I right? I just thought of that. So their stupid fish god couldn't even put himself back up, but here they gave the Philistines, or they thought, the victory, but the victory really came from Samson's own foolishness. He did it to himself with no help from Dagon. <laughs> It's, uh, it's bad enough to make ourselves look bad, 
but utterly tragic when we give the devil the opportunity to disgrace God because of our behavior. And he performed for them. Samson was made a mockery of. He, He became the village idiot or the court jester because of his sin. Verse 28. Then Samson called to the Lord, saying, O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray. Just this once, O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines from my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple, and he braced himself against them, one on his right and the other on his left. Then Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might, and the temple fell on the Lord's and all the people who were in it. So the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life. And remember, he judged Israel for 20 years. And his brothers and, his, and all his father's household came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtaol in the tomb of his father Manoah. He judged Israel 20 years. May I take vengeance on the Philistines for my eyes. Okay, maybe I'm picking on him, but he didn't say, may I take vengeance on them because of what they've done to Israel, or Lord, because they've offended you. You know, Samson, some people just don't get it right up to the very end. Yes, what he did was sacrificial, but, you know, that, that part of him that it was all about him and, and his battles is still in him, right? And listen, I'm open to being wrong. Verse 30, it says, the dead that he killed at the end was more than those in his whole life and in 20 years of being Israel's judge. Again, imagine if he took his calling seriously, how the end of this book would have been written, how maybe the need for other judges after him wouldn't be needed because he would have done the job. This was a unique calling. I don't remember anybody else who had such incredible strength in the whole Bible on a continual basis as long as the Spirit was with him, as long as he was doing the Lord's will. Of course, Jesus was stronger than Samson, but... He never used his power to glorify himself. He used it to glorify the Father or help other people. And the question is, do we take our calling seriously? It's so easy to look at the Bible and say, I I could pick them apart all day long. Say, glad I'm not like Samson. But honestly, is there any element of his life that we can look at and make a comparison? Do we take our calling seriously or is it just a big game? Is it just ministry? Is it just what we do? Is it just because I was brought up this way? Or do we we take our calling seriously, folks? We're serving God. Nobody here serves me. I remember one of my captain of the ushers, and he he serves with joy. And I thank him all the time. And he goes, Joe, I'm not serving you. I'm serving the Lord. And I like that. Because when I irritate him, because I do irritate people eventually, I'll get to all of you. (laughs) He can still serve the Lord because he's not serving me. It's not contingent on me on my behavior. I love this chapter. I'm just loving this. Now, check this out, and maybe it's because of my law enforcement background, and, you know, it's so cool, because even the four Gospels, you had four different men from their perspective looking at this, and I I bet you no one's ever brought this up, and maybe it's not even a good point, but my question is, they took the body after he was dead, and they buried it, all right? My question is, where were the Israelite men? Where were they when they took Samson? Where were they when they poked his eyes out? Where were they when they made him grind at the mill? Where were they? Where were they when he was being the court jester? Where were these guys? You know what? They were a bunch of cowards, as far as I'm concerned. They could have said, you know what, Samson, if the very least he distracted the Philistines while we could plant and crop and, and get married and, 
And, you know, the Philistines are so distracted by Samson, we could live our lives and have a little bit of a reprieve. So when they take Samson, what do these cowards do? Do they amass an army? Do they pray to the Lord about coming and, and doing a recon mission? How long was he grinding in that mill, uh, you know, in the prison? They were nowhere to be found. It's sad when someone has the courage to champion the Lord's battles and oppose wicked people, and there's nobody standing with them. Again, I, it's just, and I'll go into a little bit more, but I don't think God is very fond of cowards. All right? Uh, Dan sent me a poem referencing World War II and the Nazi domination. I think it's, it's prudent to read it here. It's a very short poem. I don't know who wrote it, but it goes like this. In Germany, they came first for the communists, and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a communist. And then they came for the trade unionists, and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a trade unionist. And then they came for the Jews, and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a Jew. And then they came for me. And by that time, there was nobody left to speak up for me. Pretty amazing, isn't it? And Christians do the same thing. As long as it doesn't affect them, they don't want to get involved. And that's a problem in the Christian community. I've got to tell you guys, I was, you know, I'm, I'm 41, I'm going to be 42. And on my squad, I got a bunch of 20-somethings, a bunch of young guys that work with me. And, uh, you know, I was out on a call the other night and I was dealing with a suspect. And we decided we weren't going to take enforcement action at this point. And I felt I just was going to let him go and send him away and be done with him. And I had two younger officers who had to go in. They had a lot of paperwork to do. And I said, guys, go in and do your paperwork. I'm okay. I can handle this from here. They wouldn't leave me. These guys wouldn't leave me. These guys aren't even Christians. And I'll tell you what, I know that these young officers would take a bullet for me. Okay? Where is that dedication in the Christian community? Where is it? You know, these guys are not even regenerated. They're not spiritual men. They don't claim to be believers. Loyalty is very important, and standing up for what's right. Samson, at the end, I look at as one of the most fascinating personalities of the Bible, and I think you would agree with me. All right? He's probably the most, uh, you, could see, you could talk to little kids, you could talk to even people in the world who don't know the Bible, and you bring up Samson and Delilah, and they know something about the story, even if they know nothing else in the Bible. To have such unstoppable power that you could do whatever you want, and look how he used it. Now, I look at this. I think God gave us two great examples in the scripture of power. Number one, you have King Solomon. Okay, Under his reign, Israel had its largest borders and uh, had its most peacetime prosperity. Uh, he was the richest man. And then you, he had unbridled riches and geopolitical power. If you needed to go somewhere in that world, you had to go through Israel. And probably they paid him a tax for it. And, and Samson, nobody could stop him, no matter what they did. Catapults, horses, spearmen, a thousand men with one jawbone. You can't stop this guy. But in the end, both of these men were a shell of their former self when they both turned away from God. Both of these men, think about that. And that's a lesson for us. Because no way any of us are going to achieve Solomon and Samson's status. But even if we could, they've already learned the lesson for us. Let's not go there. Samson is also a picture of the woman of God or the man of God who will sell their spiritual gifts for what they can get in this life. There's a lot of lessons we can learn about Samson. I could be talking about this all night. 
And another thing we can see is I don't care how any of us start off. It doesn't matter what family we were born into. It doesn't matter what positions we've attained. How do we end? It's good to start well, but it's really important to end well. I want to read this. I like Wearsby because he, he's very pithy and succinct, and I just like to lead, read some of his summations. But he says, no, no doubt you can think of many more examples from the scriptures. Lot had the privilege of walking with Abraham and yet ended in a cave, drunk and committing incest with his daughters. King Saul became, became, began as a humble man, but ended up a suicide, destroyed by his stubborn pride. King Uzziah was a godly man. Everybody loved King Uzziah until he became strong. When he tried to usurp the place of the priests, God judged him by giving him leprosy. Ahithophel was David's most trusted advisor, but he ended up hanging himself. I think that he turned on David. I think he um, committed, he, he was a Judas to David. I think that's why he ended up doing that. Am I right, guys, you remember? Good, some sh- head shaking. Yes. Thank you. There, we, there you have it. Paul's helper, Damas, I remember this, abandoned the ministry, left Paul high and dry because he loved this present world, 2 Timothy 4.10. May the Lord help us all to end well. This should be a lesson for all of us, not to get caught up in sin or get caught up in the love of the world and ultimately entangled because we will be rendered useless for the kingdom of heaven by ourselves. Let's pray. Father in heaven, 